All right, everybody, I want to sit back and say welcome you all to Ivy Knows Best. I am Eric Ivy, your host with the most. Let me stop sounding like that, like I'm, like I'm some kind of radio personality. Uh, as always, I do want to say thank you all very much for once again joining me on this beautiful, beautiful day. And we're going to go ahead and jump right into the wonderful world of sports, as we always do on this wonderful Monday. And we got a lot to get to. Uh, you know, let's go ahead and just kick it off the way we know how. Wilder versus Fury 2. Whoa. Okay? Whoa. I'm going to kick this off by saying, whoa. Shocking, to, to say the least. Um, I definitely did not pick Fury in this fight. If you go back and listen to my last, uh, last podcast, man, uh, my last sports podcast, you will hear you know, me come up with reasons why not to pick Vic, pick, uh, not, I'm sorry, not Victor. I almost say Victor. Why not to pick Fury in this fight? Why not to pick Tyson? I was just, uh, I thought that that 12th round was very telling, but I was wrong. I was wrong. It was actually telling in a whole nother way. Um, I thought that Fury coming out in that fight, uh, would have to box Wilder and that Wilder would find, would find the hand that, that, that hand that, that down so many people. And I was wrong. I'm a hey, first one raised my right hand to let you know I was completely incorrect on that take. But let's go ahead and break down why I was incorrect. Obviously, uh after the shock and awe wore off of victory of the victory by by Fury, the seventh round TKO, um I kind of sat back and I had, I had to analyze Fury's strategy. I was like, wow. That went a little bit different, <laughs> to say the least. I thought Fury's strategy was actually brilliant. The boxer, you know, putting the power puncher on the defensive. Keeping him from being able to do what he does best, which is fire off that big, big thundering right hand and getting you out of there. Eliminating the space between you two. And going hard, right? So after that knockdown in the 12th round of the first fight, Fury has been turned up since. Okay. If you look at this fight, Fury outboxed him in the first, in the first in the first uh the first fight they had. Outboxed him. Legit put on a master class in boxing against Wilder. Okay. And we all knew this because Fury's obviously the superior boxer between the two. Slick boxer, good movement, good head movement. Good foot placement, good jab placement, good cross. Just good boxing. Just different from what a lot of other guys are when they step in the step in a fight, a Deontay Wilder. But uh, looking at Fury in this fight, after he was knocked down in that 12th round, he was somebody different. Okay? Like we're we're not gonna we're not gonna sit here and act like Fury was was some kind of sucker in this fight. Okay, or the sucker in the last fight, just because he got knocked down that twelfth round. Which, by the way, I thought that he thought the count was a little long. I have to say, beyond a shadow of doubt, Tyson Fury turned up after that twelfth round, after being knocked down that twelfth round. Okay, all right, and 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 I had I had a couple takeaways. Okay, outside of Fury's strategy being so amazing, obviously staying close inside fighting. When that bell rang, he ran to the middle of the ring. He didn't walk. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't, you know, circle at first, you know, as, as you often see in most, in most bouts, he went right at him. He commanded control of the ring from the beginning. 
Bell rings, bing, here I come. He didn't panic. He didn't. He ran straight at him. Yeah, Wilder hit him with some right hands. Okay, <clears throat> hit him with some right hands, but he legitimately took the fight to Wilder. Now, this is no knock to Wilder. Okay, Wilder did well, and I don't care what no one says. I don't care, you know, how uh, how much of a Fury fan or Ty- or, or or a Mike Tyson fan or or Lennox Lewis fan or Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua. Or, or any of the uh, heavyweights of the past. I don't care. If someone takes command and control of a fight from the jump and they fight that way the entire time and they make you go away from your strategy, you have to marvel at and appreciate what they've done. Okay? That's just what that's just the honesty of it. Let's just be honest with ourselves on this. Okay? So, you know, shout out, you know, good job to Fury on that one. Kudos to him for that. Um... We also got to look at what was going on with Deontay Wilder. Yes, I understand he got punched in the ear and his equilibrium was off. I believe he had a ruptured eardrum. All right. And it was bad for him. But but prior to that knockdown happening, we saw something different. We saw him come in weighing in 231 pounds. Wilder normally comes in in a fight weighing 212, between 212 and 218 pounds. Right. That's what he normally comes in at, somewhere in there. All right, so he had he added on, you know, essentially 15 pounds of muscle or more. And he's trying that for the first time that I've seen him fight. Okay? Let's not we're not going to act like uh act like this isn't a part of the problem cuz he looked tired. You know, that second that second round heading into third round, he looked tired. He's carrying around all that muscle mass and he's looking tired. Now, Fury also weighed weighed a lot more. Fury weighed 275 pounds in this fight. And I think that that had a lot to do with um, the punching power that he displayed in this fight. Because I, mean, we, I, I was one to say I thought that Fury was feather-fisted. I thought Fury couldn't, you know, couldn't knock anyone out with a serious chin. But, you know, the help of not only his strategy but the ruptured eardrum of Deontay Wilder led to what we saw yesterday. I'm sorry, not yesterday. What we saw during the fight. Okay, now now I know a lot of people who don't understand what a ruptured eardrum does to your equilibrium. But if you go ahead and Google that and pull that up, you'll see for sure that, you know, a ruptured eardrum does definitely mess up your legs. This is why after Wilder was knocked down, of course, he had to you know clear the cobwebs. But it never looked like he genuinely did that. His legs looked horrible. He looked like he was horrible. All right, his movement was off. He was just definitely not having an amazing time, or having or or being the Deontay Wilder that we know and that we see. Okay, and that's not to take away from Tyson Fury, but that was definitely that definitely played a huge part. Um, now, I do think that what makes this very <clears throat> Excuse me. What makes this what makes this very entertaining for those of us who you know who not only frequent boxing but watch Deontay Wilder the way that we watch him is that it happened to him in such a humbling way. We've seen Deontay Wilder definitely be on the side of you know the other side of the coin. Every man he's fought, he's knocked out. Right, every man who stepped in between those in between those ropes with him. He's, 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 he's taking them apart. Now, I think Tyson Fury offers a different set of challenges for Deontay Wilder. Okay, I think that what Wilder does as a fighter, it's scary. 
It's scary knowing that, you know, at the blink of an eye, it's over. You're in control of the fight, and then it's over, right? He can change the tide. Now, would I like to have seen him go a little bit longer? Uh, no, because I just felt like that ruptured eardrum was just gonna, it was just gonna make it even worse. And you knew, and you knew Fury knew about it, you know, because when there was there's film of Fury licking him and all that weird, <laughs> which I think is crazy, man. Like like Tyson Fury's a different kind of animal, uh, but he definitely, definitely, uh, you know, Deontay Wilder definitely had a huge mountain to climb had that fight kept going. Could he have turned it around? Sure. That power is always there. Because he was landing his right hand. Let's not, act, let's, let's not act like that right hand wasn't landing. It was there. Now, was it there the way that, we, that we're used to it being there? No. No, it wasn't. And um, I think that's something that, that will speak volumes towards Deontay Wilder's um, injury or, or the injury that he sustained during that fight. Um, now, what I do think should happen now, this is what I want to look at next is, you know, what's next for each fighter? Um, I think Wilder needs a tune-up. He needs a fight in between. If he does want to go for a rematch, uh, you know, or a third fight with him, I think that he needs a tune-up fight. Uh, I suggest, me personally, I think I would like to see him and Andy Ruiz get it in. I mean, no harm, no foul there. That's a that's a fight that I think that um, we as the people would 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 tune in to see. Andy Ruiz. You know, he had his upset of Anthony Joshua. He was the world champ for, you know, until his rematch. He got his rematch out the way and, and you know, and he lost. But I think that that's a good fight for Wilder moving forward. I think Wilder should go ahead and and look at Ruiz as a possibility before he jumps back in there with Fury. And I think what's next for Fury, I think Fury and Joshua needs to happen. I think to unify the, the uh, heavyweight division. I don't think I want to see either one of them. Uh, take a fight with anyone else <clears throat> at this point. I think we all can we all can say this. I mean, I, I, I mean, I would, in all honesty, I wouldn't be against Deontay Wilder fighting Anthony Joshua right now either. Even coming off of a loss, Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua is well overdue. It's well overdue. Now, do I think that Wilder should take that fight? I think I think I don't think Wilder should take that fight. Before he has a tune-up, whether it be you know he takes Ruiz or, or 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 someone else you know who he can, who he'll obviously walk completely through, you know to kind of build his confidence back up. I would love to see that, and I also and also also went off for this because in sports we do this. This happens in sports twenty four seven. Something happens to somebody or somebody gets beat or whatever, and we automatically are down on them. I I, I encourage everyone if you are an American, and you realize that. You know, we have an American heavyweight champion of American descent who represents your country. Win, lose, or draw, keep supporting him. Okay? All right, let's keep supporting. Let's keep supporting him. Yes, he lost. Yes, he had yes, he had himself a uh a um a rough night at the office, so to speak. He he got it. He got he got he got it handed to him. But I think that we definitely need to not be so down on him and not be quick to just cast him away because guess what? Everyone was riding with him. I, and I'm going to tell you this. I might be bad luck. I might just be bad luck for, for certain teams and, and certain players because, you know, anytime that I jump on to something or finally become, um, I, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to say I, I become a part of a bandwagon, but as soon as I become a part of the idea of, you know what, or I, or I come along to that, you know, that guy's, that guy's the truth. 
Oh, I like that guy. What tends to happen is that guy ends up losing. Okay. That's what happened. All the, I, I legit rooted against, against, uh, against Deontay Wilder on multiple occasions. And you know what's funny? He proved me wrong every time. And I picked the and, and, and you know what's funny? On the on the first Wilder fight, Wilder and Fury, I I chose Fury to win. And Fury, in my opinion, outboxed him, but you know, that botched count might, you know, add a little bit to it. But then we just saw Fury come out and dominate him like that. Okay, cool. But that was the time that and it happened to be the time that I chose to go ahead and root for for uh Deontay Wilder. I think the only way for him to get back on the winning streak is for me, you know, to go ahead and just say, hey, you know what? No more. I'm not going to root for him no more. I'm going to root for everyone else in just the hopes that he wins. Okay. But I do think that there's a lot to be said and to digest over the next few weeks for him. And I'll, you know, and I hope they're both, you know, good and safe. Congratulations to Tyson Fury, of course. But, you know, I do want to see him bounce back in a major way. Um, so for Fury, I do want to see Fury and Joshua. Unite the heavyweight division, and if not that, uh, Wilder Ruiz, they can, they can go ahead and get that on, and the winner of that will could get the winner of Fury Joshua, or the winner of that will get Fury or Joshua. I just think that's something that we should see. I think that's something we need to go ahead and see. Um, but definitely, definitely, definitely something that wowed me that this weekend was that right there, and the under and the undercard wasn't that bad either. If you had opportunity to order the pay per view, whatnot. Um, you saw you saw a few knockouts, nothing controversial, just, you know, it is what it is. Now, what I did want to say that was kind of controversial, um, Deontay Wilder's head trainer, had, you know, he wasn't the one who threw in the towel. It was another trainer in his corner that threw in the towel. And when, when asked, you know, you, you know, when asked why, hey, why was, you know, why, why didn't you throw in the towel? He's like, well, you know, I feel like Deontay was a water. Deontay Wilder was a warrior and he wanted to go out on his shield. Right. But obviously the other trainer was like, no. And then he's like, well, you know, we're kind of like an NFL team. You know, there's a head coach, an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator that handle different things and they see different things. They coach different aspects. You're the man in that corner. Okay. <clears throat> You're the man in that corner. All right. You got a heavyweight champion who's a knockout artist and you see he's hurt. You see he's having a bad time. He's having a bad go at it. Your job is to protect that fighter when he cannot protect himself. Okay? Now, if you felt like he was he was fine and he still had a shot because he had that big he still has that big power in that punch, that's one thing. That's one aspect of it, and I understand that. But at the same time, you need to have control of that situation. Because now Deontay Wilder has an out. I mean, if, if this was just him being bad or him just losing, right? Okay, cool. You know, and, and he, he doesn't want to admit it. Now he has an out. Hey, my corn. I didn't, we weren't going to stop the fight. This other guy stopped the fight. You know, as opposed to you know, kind of, kind of just even though he's you know Deontay Wilder was a champion, he was a champ about it in, in the performance and after the performance and before the performance, he was definitely always, 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 you know, a professional about it. He said, "Hey, you know what? You know, I wanted to go out on my shield, but Fury was the better man tonight. Kudos to him, right?" And I think that. Deontay Wilder is a bigger and better. And I think he'll be, like I said, that, that loss doesn't change anything about how I feel about Deontay Wilder and or the fact that Deontay Wilder is still one of the premier heavyweights on the on the planet right now. That one loss, Tyson Fury, in my opinion, can beat any heavyweight on any given day in the division today right now. So Deontay Wilder definitely can hold his head up high as a champion and understand, that, okay, well, you know what? I might have lost this one. I'll come back and I'll get it. 
right? And as for as far as Tyson Fury, man, keep pushing. Keep man, hey, you want to? He said he wants to become a knockout puncher now. He wants to become. He wants to, you know, at this point in his career, start knocking guys out. You know, even though he's already a master boxer, he wants to add that add that to his resume. So, uh, I want to wish him the best of luck in that. And uh, hopefully he goes out there and gets that uh, that Joshua fight to unify the division and uh, keep all of us boxing fans and pundits happy, you know, because it's, it's, it's the first time we've, we've started to see a lot of the best fighting the best, especially in boxing. It's starting to kind of come back around. You know, we're seeing it also down there with uh, Ryan Garcia and all those guys, Lomachenko and Tank Davis and, you know, all those guys. We're seeing a ton of that now where, where where the best guys want to fight the best guys and they don't want to wait. They want to get it in with them now. So, hey, hopefully that continues to be a trend. And we can we can get a lot of uh, amazing fights out of that. You know, another thing that I did happen to see uh, in a storm, it had me guessing, man. It had me thinking, you know, after I watched, you know, Wilder and, and Fury go ahead and duke it out. I was, you know, kind of sitting up at the edge of my bed and, and I kept seeing this thing about the Astros and sign stealing. Okay. And it made me think, start thinking about cheating in sports. And I'm trying to, and I'm, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. And they're like, oh, you know, they stole signs and they weren't the best team. They knew this was coming, knew that was coming. And I agree, cheating is cheating. Okay, it's un-American to cheat. You know, especially in American sports where you know we have little things that are advantages, but that aren't considered cheating. But then there's things that are blatantly cheating. And it, and it had me start to think, what are some of the most notorious cheating? Uh, you know, cheating scandals I can think of, right? Like the ones that, that, that pass my mind the most. Um, and I decided, you know what? Let's go ahead and take a look. All right. One of the ones I remember, and I was a kid when this happened, but Tanya Harding. All right. Nancy Kerrigan, you know, she paid somebody to attack, you know, to assault Nancy Kerrigan. All right. They're both Olympic ice skaters. Okay. Or, or, or you know, vying to be Olympic ice skaters. And she paid someone to assault, uh, her competition so that you know her competition couldn't compete and that that was just you know that's cheating to the next level that's like hey you know what i don't care if you're hurt i don't care what happens to you i want to win all right that that's that's another form of cheating that i was just like wow wow like like, <laughs> like it's, it's crazy right that someone would take it that far to do that um but notwithstanding another you know an, another one that really stood out to me was Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong toured the Ferrant winner multiple times, you know, cancer survivor, um, you know, steroids. Was on steroids the whole time. Was cheating the entire time he was winning. Which which really opened up, you know, a lot of questions about that sport and cycling specifically, you know, it, it just like who else is cheating and then you know how that goes it just opens up a floodgate if that person's cheating other people are cheating too right well then there was another one that's right along the the lines of tanya harding and it's and it's one that i feel was a felonious assault and should never have been allowed but antonio margarito in the loaded glove situation when he fought miguel Cotto. okay um i feel like he shaved off a couple of years off of miguel Cotto's career with that cheating you know, you know, that that's just number one, your boxing's always a dangerous sport to to begin with. And to load your gloves with with, with, with what would be considered plaster of pairs, um, you know, a, a hardened agent inside of his hand wraps 
that would allow him an advantage once it wet once it got wet and started to get harder and things like that. And it kind of created almost like a brass knuckle over his over his uh over his hands. And he was just wailing away and tearing Kodo up in this fight. And it was if you ever have opportunity to go back and watch their first watch their first fight, man, man, he just re- he really, really dug in and did some damage to him. Um and I I just felt like he should have been arrested for that. As soon as they, because they caught him doing it again against Shane Mosley. And that's when he was exposed. And Shane Mosley knocked him out in that fight. But he, you know, had the loaded gloves, going to go in there again and do it. And boom. And got exposed. And then Shane tore him out the frame. And, you know, which I was glad. I was glad because if you're going to cheat like that, you were planning on trying to kill. You were going to try to kill somebody. Okay, that's that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you like the advantage. And, I mean, Lord forbid you punch somebody the wrong way once without it. Without it, you can kill them. And there's been plenty of deaths you know, from brain swelling, things like that. That's just, that's just another form of cheating that I just felt was just really egregious. Um, now, on the lighter side of cheating, there's obviously Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and the home run derby they gave us, you know, back in the late 90s. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, I don't understand why people don't remember how exciting this was. Okay, I get it. Yeah, it harms the integrity of the sport. But we were tuning in to watch Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa's home run race. We were happy to watch them belt the ball over the wall. None of us ever thought, I mean, guess as a kid, I never thought, and I never heard in conversation that these guys had to be on some kind of steroids or using cork bats or whatever the case may be that they were doing. But that was crazy. That, that that was happening, and it was two people at one time doing it. And now, obviously, Jose Caseco comes out with his book and all this and starts saying everyone was a cheater, and Mark McGuire admits that he did it. You know, things like that all come come to surface. And, you know, and Sammy Sosa went out and lightened his skin, which has zero to do with this issue, but Jesus. You know, that's an egregious thing, too, but that's a whole other story for another time. Let's just look at, you know, the cheating scandal as it is. As entertaining as it was, still a cheating scandal. And the top cheating scandal that I remember, it, it comes from your favorite cheater and my favorite che- cheater, Bill Belichick and the, and the New England Patriots with Spygate and Deflategate. Okay? Now listen. Listen. Okay. <clears throat> Deflategate, a little bit less than Spygate. Okay? On, on this for me. Uh, also, the NFL tuck rule, which we really we're not going to blame them for that because it's really not their fault. That's a referee call that's that's outside of this. But just in the realms of blatant cheating, Spygate and Deflategate are going to be the two that um, resonate when we start talking about it. The New England Patriots already a premier prestige brand in the NFL. You know, one of the top NFL clubs by itself. We're caught cheating twice, two really big times. All right, the Flategate, um, which was obviously them lowering the ball pressure uh, and the balls, whether it be lower or not, had a little wiggle room because you know you had people like Aaron Rodgers who came out and said, "Hey, you know what? I like my balls overinflated." You know, which now you know which got less attention, but it's still a thing. You know, if you prefer your balls a certain way, whether it's under or over. It's it's still a cheating, but not everyone's the Patriots, so they're gonna get they're gonna get the top billing on this one. Um, also, with Spygate, with them stealing signs and, and pretty much doing the same thing the Astros did, 
you know what I mean? Watching practices and, and filming this and filming that. They, they were caught doing that again as well. Uh, it, it makes me wonder, like, why? You're that great. Why do you need to do that? Why is that something that you feel is necessary? Like, you're already, you're already, you already have the best quarterback on the planet, the best coach on the planet, right? Your defenses are amazing. Like, you don't need to do that, right? Like, I, I can understand if, it, if you know, the, the, the Browns or the Bengals or somebody like that. Let, let, let's use those guys, right? Those, those, those lower-tiered NFL teams. If they were caught cheating, I'd understand because they're not good. The Patriots were legitimately, you know, the top of the top, and they were doing these things. Okay, now I think that, of course, if we open up cheating in sports just, just as a whole, if, if we take time to look at, um, if we take time to sit back and really look at and analyze the cheating scandals as a whole, the Astros aren't the first to do it. And the fact that people are making such a large or big time issue that in their World Series championship year, you know, in which they beat the Yankees and beat the Dodgers, you know, to, to, to uh, you know, to, to win the uh, to win the uh, the World Series, that people are just they're just so beside themselves. They're beside themselves. OK, yes, they cheated, but it's baseball. You have an entire section built around steroids. Okay, which by the way, steroids doesn't help you with your with with, with your hand and eye coordination. And if there is one, it, it, I'll, and and I'll be the first to admit that I misspoke if that exists. But I don't know of anything. I've never heard of your eyesight getting better because you've taken steroids. Yes, it helps you to power the ball over the wall a little bit more. Okay, and and if we're going and if we're going to sit there and we're going and we're going to drill them about this, and the Houston Astros aren't my are not my favorite baseball team, but I just think that with a sport like like baseball, where people were going to Congress to you know talk about alleged steroid use, right? You would think in a sport like that that you would. Like, like, like you being surprised, like, why are you surprised? You know what I mean? If this sport has these many people who lied about, about being on steroids, that someone would cheat. Like, it's like, yeah, I understand it makes it less, but I'm like, what are you, I know it doesn't make it any less egregious, but like, what are you expecting? You think that's the only thing they're doing? You think like, 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 <laughs> like, like you're upset that someone was stealing signs. Okay. I'm pretty sure every team steals signs, but only they got caught and only they won the world series. I, I get it. I get it. Yep. It's not, it's not necessarily, you know, Hey, it's not, it's not all, you know, uh, all okay. And, and, Oh, it's not, it's not oh the, the whole American way, you know, but let's stop acting like this sport didn't have bigger problems. Let's stop acting like this is the most egregious thing ever. When we just named, you know, legit two felonious cases in sports, right? with Margarito and Harding right now where they're cheating almost and could have taken people's lives. It could have gotten a lot more dangerous than it did. All right. Yeah. Don't, don't mind the Patriots 
or you know, you know, in, in their in their two scandals. But when you look at Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, that's from that same sport. Like, come on now, let's let's stop acting like cheating something new in baseball. Let's stop acting like cheating is new in sports. Period. There's always going to be cheaters. Now, also with the, uh, you know, even though we're just talking about the Patriots, let's go ahead and segue into um, the NFL, okay? Uh, the NFL and this money grab that they're on, all right? The adding of another playoff team um, and another way for them to extend the NFL season and also the NFL market dollar, right? Uh, what we see a lot of... Uh, in the NFL is they want to see different ways. How can I make more money? Now, the NFL is by far the most viewed league in American sports, you know, with the Super Bowl and TV ratings and things like that. It is a very, 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 very important market um, to be a part of. And if you are a part of that market, you want to maximize those dollars. All right. So considerably so, uh, the NFL you know, now I got into this, uh, this bar, the CBA, you know, the collective bargain agreement, and they're looking to um, have one less preseason game and one more playoff and add one more playoff team. Now, I, I don't know who this does anything for more than the NFL, uh, the league as a whole. Obviously, there's more money and there's less days without football for us fans, but it's um, more football being viewed on big market TV. And it really does nothing for the players. I can't think of a positive of, of adding, you know, I mean, do you, you, I mean, I guess you would only have the number one seed, just like it'd be pretty much like baseball In baseball. You have the number one seed. They have a buy. That's it. Everybody else from, you know, two, two on down will play. You know what I mean? But they have a wild. They have a, obviously one wild card game a piece where you have the wild card team playing the low, you know, the lowest seed. And then you just kind of go from there. But I just, I think that yes, as a football fan, I would like to see one more playoff team at it. I mean, it'd be a nice change of pace, but do I really think it's necessary? I think the formula we have now is amazing. It's simplified, you know, four division champions to wild cards piece. You add a third wild card, okay, cool, whatever. But, I mean, it really doesn't change anything other than the number two seed really doesn't get a buy. Like, okay. Like, you know, <laughs> like it really – that didn't do anything for us. You know, that really didn't change anything for us. As, as I mean, unless your team's right on the outside of the playoffs. I mean, that's who, that's who really benefited from that. You know, and I just don't think the players really get a lot out of it. I mean, we saw J.J. Watt go on his Instagram or, or – uh, I'm sorry, social media of some sort and and say, hey, that's a hard pass for me. Like, I'm just going to say no. Like, let's leave it the way it is. Is What's the point of us changing the way we already have this? And I agree with them. You already have. I mean, listen, the NFL is a hard business to be a part of. Now, I am I am a fan of shortening, shortening the preseason. I personally think you should only have two preseason games. I mean, that's just what it is. I think you should have shorter preseason. I think your preseason should be shortened. And if you want to roll the other one to two games into, you know, the NFL season, okay, cool. That just means you start the NFL season earlier. Now, can you still treat the early games like the preseason? No. I mean, is that is that is that is that does that make your your competition load and how much you work a little bit harder? Yeah, sure it does. But you're not 
effectively really adding anything. The only thing you're doing is changing the preseason from being four games to two or three. And you just add one game on the back end. You just start the season early, which I'm a fan of starting the season early. I think the preseason is how people get hurt. That's how you lose a lot of good talent in the preseason. I mean, I'm just saying it happens. So um, I, I just don't think the NFL really cares more or cares anything about its players as much as it cares about its bottom line. Now, don't get it wrong. I think that that's every sports organization out there. They care about their bottom line. If they didn't, they wouldn't sell merchandise. They wouldn't sell tickets. They just put on the show for free. But they don't. They are a business. And I think that the NFL as a business um, is going to do what's in the best interest of the business. Now, whether or not, you know, the players want to do it, that's one thing. But I, for one, I'm going to tune in. I'm going to tune in if they if they add a game or not. I mean, that's just what it is. I think as a fan, we care more about the sport at large than we do about player safety and things like that. Now, yeah, we don't want our players to get hurt if they play for our favorite teams or even if they play for any team. If you've ever played the sport of football or basketball or any sport, you don't want to watch anyone get hurt. But, you know, for the most part, we enjoy watching it. We know for a fact for years, we've known for a fact for years about CTE and, you know, the the, the bad injuries that people are are sustaining from the sport of football. I mean, they even changed the way that, that the tackling is done and and the calls and the running starts. And they, they, they've outlawed, they try, they've outlawed a lot of things to try to make the game safer. Now, do I think those instances go up the more games you have? Yes. Yes, they do. Um, but is that a part of the game that we love? Undoubtedly, yes. Without question, yes. We watch the game for that reason. Okay, we watch because we do want to see people go out there, you know, put it all on the line and we want to watch them succeed if they are our team and fail if they're our enemies. That's just that's just football is a very territorial thing. But I just don't think that uh, this money grab does anything for anybody but the NFL. And I mean, I guess in the fans, but the players doesn't do you any favors. I mean, yeah, it changes your playoff position and yeah, you can get more money. But it's a money grab, man. It's really more so about how much money can I squeeze out of this out of these people? Because yes, my sport's violent. Yes, my sport does take a lot, a lot of toll on the body. How much money can I squeeze out of this out of this uh, out of this turnip or out of this out of this orange or whatever you want to call it? How much can I really squeeze out of it? That's the real question. I think the NFL is doing what they what they're supposed to do on their end, but they're really not considering. The players, and if the players turn this down, I'm not going to be surprised. I would not be surprised if the players vote no. I'm not. I mean, unless there's a whole lot of money involved that will change the players' mind. You know, we really can't be mad at the NFL for it, though. But, hey, it is who they are. Now, um, as always, I always do say this. I love you all, and thank you very much for always tuning in to me and tuning into my show and hearing me run my mouth. Okay, thank you all very much. And um, I do like to field these questions. And I found one question that um, I really, 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 really love. All right. It's a it's in the in, in the um, best interest of us all to have this conversation or to even have this question answered. I had a fan ask uh, or a listener ask um, a question 
and it was via message. Uh, he asked, you know, what who is the greatest black sports sports figure of all time? And I said, hey, wait a minute. It's Black History Month. I can't just do one. OK, I can't do one. I can give you my favorites. But there's no way that I'm going to give you a streamlined amount of favorites. It's not going to happen. OK, I'm not going to be able to to give everybody's favorite their view, but I'm going to go ahead and break down who are my favorites. OK, and I also break down what makes them one of my favorites. All right. So that was the question was, you know, who are some who are the greatest black sports figures of all time? All right. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. My my list is going to be different from everyone else's. OK, but once again, as I always say, welcome to my platform. <laughs> All right. We do not always have the same view, but we do respect everyone else's opinion. But let's go ahead and get started. Um, for me, I'm, I started off with Tim Duncan. And here's why. Tim Duncan has uh, 1,001 wins. That's third most in the NBA and NBA history for a player. He has five NBA titles with the San Antonio Spurs, two time MVP, three times finals MVP. OK, Tim Duncan is. You know, one of my favorites, quiet, the quiet, silent professional. Now, you know, you don't you never heard anything, no scandals or anything like that concerning Tim Duncan. Just, you know, no fanfare, none of that, no diva attitude, just a, just a real team guy. Um, so I had a lot of love for him. Uh, another pick I had was Ray Robinson. All right. Sugar Ray Robinson. He's the reason why sugar is in people's names like Sugar Shane Mosley. OK. All right. Let's let's, let's you know, let's let's just kind of do that. Or Sugar Ray Leonard. All right. Ray Robinson was never knocked out in 170, actually more more than 170 fights. <clears throat> he had 108 knockouts, 175 wins, 19 loss, and six defeat. I mean, six ties. So in those 19 defeats that he had, he was never knocked out. Okay. Um, he was voted vi- fighter of the century. He fought the likes of Jake LaMotta. Killed Gav- Kid Gavilon, Rocky Graziano, you know, all these, all opponents of note. Okay. Ray, Sugar Ray Robinson is for sure one of my picks, was always going to be on there. The next one, Jim Brown. All right. Jim Brown, three time MVP. He's the only running back in the in the history of the league to win that, that award multiple times. Um, 104.3 rushing yards per game. That is a standing NFL record. Okay, and Jim Brown retired early. Okay, all right. So Jim Brown definitely, definitely gonna be on be on my list. Um, Michael Jordan. We all know Mike. We know the shoes. We know the slogans. And if you grew up watching him, you enjoyed watching his competitive spirit. We already know the six rings. We know you know the the multiple defensive player of the years, gold medals. You name it. Mike has done it. He is, you know, a basketball god, and I think that he's always going to be on the tip of our tongues forever, okay? He changed how the shorts were worn in the league, you know? He changed how we view tennis shoes, you know? He is a cultural icon now, and he's always going to be a very important part of, you know, black culture from that standpoint. And especially during the game, within the bounds of the game, Michael Jordan is second to none. There's a reason why he's considered the GOAT. All right. Straight up. Two three-peats. No losses in finals history. Okay. 
You won't get nothing with Michael. Listen, you eat when you eat when I get off my bricks. Okay, that was Michael Jordan. You eat when I get done. All right, I want to retire now. You can get to Houston. Oh, okay, I want to come back. Houston, you get nothing now. Nobody gets nothing. Nobody but me. Oh, cool. Oh, I'm about to retire a second time. Hey, hey, San Antonio, you can get some now. Go ahead, get y'all some. Okay, Michael Jordan. You gotta love Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Um, and I think the top one that I that I gave, and I really had to sit down and think about this one, but this is really one that I think that the further more the further I I um, read up on him and and did my homework on him, the more I, the more I realized that Jackie Robinson. Uh, you know, a player that broke the MLB, MLB color barrier and was the 1947 MLB Rookie of the Year with a uh, two with a .297 batting average, 175 hits, and 12 home runs, and 29 stolen bases. Okay, and mind you, that was the inaugural year of that award, was 1947, and they gave it to Jackie Robinson. Um, ten, played 10 seasons in the MLB, was a six-time All-Star. Uh, little side note, he was the only UCL player, UCLA player to let her in baseball, football, track, and basketball. Amazing. Amazing. If you want to talk, if you really want to talk about amazing and amazing during a time where they didn't want the Negro to excel even in sports, let alone life itself. Jackie Robinson, by far, you know, put up with some of the most egregious and hateful individuals you can think of. And he was still a class act. He was still amazing at what he did. And he stood out. Now, I do have a couple honorable mentions and I say I have more than a couple. Um, I had, you know, Serena, Serena Williams was on there for me. Um, you know, Jerry Rice was on there for me. Barry Sanders was on there for me. Um, Allen Iverson. You know, here's the thing. I feel like Allen Iverson doesn't get enough respect neither. Allen Iverson was the, you know, was the first guy that made you feel like he had that street cred and it was okay to walk around that way. You know, you could be yourself. You could wear the big earrings and the, and the, and the little tape around your fingers. And you know what I mean? Like Allen Iverson's small dog, big fight. Okay, so he's one of my honorable mentions, one of the guys I feel didn't get enough respect. But I mean, he does. But I think when we start talking about greatest sport, black sports figures and what they really mean to people, if you checked around my generation, you know, that's the age between, you know, 25 and 35. Allen Iverson's on the tip of their tongue. He's in there. He's in the argument. He's in the discussion. It's not even it's not even a question. OK, it's not even a question. Um. Also, uh, Floyd Mayweather's in there. Muhammad Ali's definitely in there. These are all people that I didn't skip and I wanted to make sure they got their credence because how, you know, or, or the credit that they deserve because they are amazing athletes. They were always going to be amazing and they're going to mean a lot to all of us forever. But there's something about these few, you know, obviously Shaquille O'Neal and those kind of guys. The, the, there's something about the guys I just put on my list that, I, that for me, made the world world of a difference. I mean, you can always, like I said, I always feel feel free. You can hit me up on social media. You can hit me up, you know, any platform you could think of minus Twitter because I'm not important enough to have a Twitter. And you know, I'm I am what I am, you know, and I'm nothing without y'all. 
So if you do have any questions, you have my number, you can always text it. Always, you know, and if you don't, you know, hit my inbox online. You know what I mean? Hit my hit my email up. You know what I mean? Hit hit me on hit me at Eric Ivy. My name is Eric Ivy. E R I C I V E Y on Facebook. You know you you know feel free. You know and and as always, before I do go, I do want to definitely always give shouts out to all those who are doing amazing things with their family. Happy birthday to all those who have those who have those wonderful birthdays out there. And for everyone who continues to grind, keep grinding, get your money, get your love, get your respect. And, you know, be peaceful out here because the world is a crazy place. You know, let's be safe out here and, you know, and keep watching y'all sports, man. Sports is the one thing that brings us all together. That's why I love it so much. And as always, this is Eric Ivey, man. Thank you for listening.